0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Outbound Squad, hosted by Jason Bay and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Host Jason Bay dives in with leading sales experts and top performing reps to share actionable tips and strategies to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. In a recent episode called Quick Hacks to Personalize Your Outreach, he speaks with ethan parker about how to personalize your outreach in a more repeatable way something every single one of us has to do it listen to outbound squad wherever you get your podcasts Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance and my guest today is Jonah Berger. He is a Wharton School professor and internationally known bestselling author of books like Contagious, Invisible Influence, and The Catalyst. And we're going to talk about his latest book today, Magic Words, What to Say to Get Your Way. So welcome back to the show, Jonah. Thanks so much for having me back. So... Before we get into your current book, just looking at the, your titles there as I read them off, would you say there's kind of a theme or a thread that's run through your work?
1: There is. I would certainly say it relates a lot to influence and think about how influence works, whether it's influencing others through word of mouth, which is what Contagious was all about, influencing others through traditional social influence. We're doing the same thing. We're doing something different and how others motivate us or demotivate us, using influence to drive change, which is very much behind the catalyst. But along the way, I realized that a lot of what was behind influence was the language we're using, right? When we're sharing word of mouth, we're not only trying to get people to talk about us, we're trying to get them to say certain things. When we're trying to change others, we're not just trying to get them to change using broad strategies. Certain particular words are quite impactful. And so for the last decade or so, a lot of the work I've been doing is involving natural language processing or insight from textual language data. And so it finally was to the point where
0: I thought it was ready for a book on the topic. So, So would you go as far as saying that you are advising people to be uh, let's see scientifically intentional about the words they choose when they're influencing
1: you know i think about language a lot like math right? You can break down interpersonal interactions into a series of things that are more and less likely to work and to drive action. Right. And what's so neat is, you know, the amazing amount of data now that we have out there on language, you know, you and I are having a conversation right now, it may end up being transcribed. When we call customer service, it's recorded. When we post our opinions online, we mm-hmm. leave them in our language and digital form. We can mine all this data for insight, and we can use a rich set of new computational tools to extract that insight. And so we're really living in a time where we can learn a lot about what type of language increases our
0: impact. Yeah. You know, one thing we do a lot of work with companies to help develop strategy. And I find that a lot of comes out of what their customers are saying about them. Like, here's the value you really provide. So we've just been taking all their reviews, chucking it into AI, and it's saying, here's the stuff that people really value about what you do. And I I think that's, you know, it's pretty scary how fast we can process that amount of data now.
1: Yeah, but you can almost think about I and mean, We're talking about a sort of social listening. You can almost think about people leaving breadcrumbs right. behind about their opinions and attitudes. And sure, one person's opinion or attitude may just be one person's opinion. But right. if 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people are saying the same things, you can learn a lot, both about where your brand should be, what problems your customers are having, who your competitors are, and what strategies might be useful in, in the future. And yeah. so it's amazing to see both how we can use language to influence others, but also how how we can learn from the language people leave behind and be better
0: marketers as a result. So coming from your world of academia, I'm, I'd love if you'd share a little bit about the research that you actually did to compile. I think you, you have six types of words that can yeah. increase impact in every area of your life as you claim. So well, describe the research that went into sure. boiling that down.
1: Yeah, so let's just take a step back. You talk about six key types of words, and I often talk about them in a framework called the SPEAK framework, and that's S-P-E-A with two Cs at the end rather than a K. I'm not clever enough to figure out how to make it have a K, but the S is for the language. K is the
0: toughest letter in Scrabble. It really is.
1: (laughs) That's good to know. I will try to avoid it in future (laughs) frameworks. But the S is for language that evokes similarity. The P is for the language that helps us pose questions. The E is for language of emotion. A is for language of agency and identity. The Cs are for concreteness and confidence. And let me just give you one example. So often when we're trying to get others to, to do something, we often use verbs. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we're asking for help, we say, can you help me? Or if we were a nonprofit, for example, trying to get people to to turn out and vote, we might say, can you go vote, right? We use verbs to encourage people to take that desired action. But the study was done at Stanford University a number of years ago, where they saw whether a small, subtle shift in language, actually two letters, could increase the impact of a request. So rather than asking some students to help, for example, clean up a classroom, they asked some to help, and they ask some to be a helper. Now help er is the word help with two letters on the end er very small difference only two letters yet led to a 30% increase in the percentage of people who helped and you might say well that's students in a classroom does that really work in the real world well some similar scientists wondering could we use this to actually change the number of people that turn out to vote so they sent out tens of thousands of mailers to voters some people they said hey could you go vote and others they say well hey would you be willing to be a voter and go vote now Voter and vote are only one letter difference, but there it led to a 15% increase in turnout. The reason why is quite simple, right? People like actions, but they really want to hold desirable identities. We all want to see ourselves as smart and helpful and interesting and all those various things. But turning actions, verbs, helping voting into identities, being a helper, is a way to encourage people to claim those desired identities, right? Voting is fine, but if voting is a way to show... I'm a voter. Well, now I'm more likely to do it. Similarly, losing is bad, but being a loser would be even worse, right? Cheating is bad, but being a cheater would be even worse. And so research shows that framing undesired actions as undesired identities is more likely to get people to avoid them because no one wants to be a loser, right? And so a great way to encourage people to do something is not by using actions, but by turning those actions into identities.
0: It's actually like you're almost getting them to join the team.
1: Yeah. You're a team. It's a question yeah. of which team it is. Yes, but it right, right, can right. be different teams. And the same thing is true even with talking about yourself or colleagues, right? You want to make someone look good? Don't say they're hardworking. Say they're a hard worker. Now <laughs> it seems more persistent, right? If you call someone a runner, it seems like they run more often than if you just said, well, they run. And so calling someone a creator rather than they're creative, calling someone an innovator rather than they're innovative, all of these things make them seem more like persistent, true aspects of self. And makes other people see them more favored.
0: I won't be the first or the last person to go here on this, but, you know, at what point does that become negative influence? Like somebody responds to being called a runner, but they don't really like to run that much, but they just kind of like the association. So you can actually trick them uh, you know, by giving them the association.
1: Yeah. You know, what's challenging about influence and tools in general is the tools themselves are neither good nor bad.
0: Yeah. yeah, So take a
1: hammer right? A hammer is not a good thing or a bad thing. It can be used for some great things. It can help us build buildings. It can also be used to hurt someone. A hammer itself is neutral. The way we use it is positive or negative. And so if you said, hey, you know, Jonah, can we use these tools to get people to turn out to vote and help them exercise more and encourage them to be better to the world around them? We'd say this is fantastic, right? If you said, well, it's going to encourage people to buy junk and hurt people and do bad things, we'd say, well, let's not use these tools. And So it's not about the tools themselves. It's really about how we use them.
0: Hey, Marketing agency owners, you know, I can teach you the keys to doubling your business in just 90 days or your money back. Sound interesting? All you have to do is license our three-step process that's going to allow you to make your competitors irrelevant, charge a premium for your services, and scale, perhaps without adding overhead. And here's the best part. You can license this entire system for your agency by simply participating in an upcoming agency certification intensive. Look, why create the wheel? Use a set of tools that took us over 20 years to create, and you can have them today. Check it out at dtm.world slash certification. That's dtm.world slash certification. Well, this is a perfect segue to your name checking of Donald Trump in the book. <laughs> but you use that example, I think, to illustrate that you know, influence for good or bad, depending upon you know, where you stand on that. So, so talk a little bit about what you've noticed in what he has done that has actually influenced people, you know, regardless of how you feel about it.
1: Yeah. And so I don't want to get into politics because some of your listeners may hate Donald Trump and some of them may love Donald Trump, regardless of whether you like him or not. What you can agree with is he's done an amazing job of motivating some set of people to action. Even if you hate his policies and hate his ideas and hate him as a person, You can't sit there and go, well, he hasn't had an effect. He's clearly had an impact. And so even if you hate him, I think it would be a good idea to figure out why he has such an impact. If you look at what he does, the same thing that startup founders and gurus and individuals we think are quite really good speakers often do, which is they exude confidence. They speak with a great deal of certainty, right? He doesn't say something might happen. He doesn't say this could work. He says, this will definitely happen. It will be amazing and everyone will love it, right? He speaks with a great degree of certainty. And compare that with most academics, and I'll throw myself in the bucket here, right? We often say things like, well, I, I think this is a good strategy, or this might work. Or, you know, as a consultant, I often do this, right? I say, oh, yeah, you know, I think this will be a good idea, this should work, or, you know, this is probably the best course of action. And what we're doing there is two things. One, we're sharing our opinions. But we're also subtly undermining their impact because using hedges, the language I I think, might, could, possibly, all those are examples of hedges. Hedges undermine our impact because they make us seem less certain right? They make observers think we're less certain about what we're saying. And because of that, they're less likely to follow our advice. And so does that mean we should never hedge? No, there are certainly cases where we should. But one, don't just hedge because it's convenient. And two, certain hedges are more impactful than others. So saying, for example, it seems to me, rather than it seems, suggests you're willing to stand behind that opinion and it actually makes you seem relatively more confident rather than less and makes you relatively more persuasive compared to saying just it, it seems. And so I'm not saying pretend like everything is true all the time, but we need to be careful about the language you use and, and use it in a way that helps us rather
0: than and you, know, you know, one of the things to, <clears throat> I think that comes from a book like this is that. You know, even if you don't take all of this and run with it yourself, I think maybe it makes you a little more aware of how you're being influenced. You know, if if that makes sense, I know I had Robert Cialdani on the show, author of one of the original books on influence called Influence. And he said he originally wrote that book because he saw a lot of really negative, bad things happening to people because they were being influenced. He wanted them to understand why yes. it was happening. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I want to be careful here. You know, I know the subtitle of this book is what to say to get your way, and so it may seem like an influence book. I don't love the subtitle. I like that it rhymes. I like that it's clear about one of the things you can do with language. An alternate title was, you know, what to say to build social connection, persuade others, hold attention, be more creative, stick to your goals, and that was like this long and it just didn't it didn't work. And so there's certainly some things in the book about how to use language to to increase your impact. There are also things about how to be more creative, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than saying what, think about what you should do, think about what you could do, switching one word makes you a better problem solver there's language of how to deepen social connection by asking the right types of questions follow-ups rather than other types can make you have closer relationships with the people that you care about and so this isn't just an influence book how do we get people to do what we want it's really how we can use language to increase our impact in all domains of life
0: you went over very briefly i want to come back to that idea of asking questions because i find that one sort of intriguing when we think about magic words we think about us telling people, declaring things, right? And this idea of being more impactful by asking the right questions, I think is really interesting. I wonder if you'd go into that.
1: Yeah. You know, the more I've learned and studied (laughs) questions, the more rich and and powerful they are. They do so many different things. We think about questions as ways to collect information, but they shape how others perceive us. They shape the type of information we collect. They shape a variety of of outcomes. So take something as simple as asking for advice, right? Most of us think it's a bad idea. Why? Well, one, we don't want to bother someone. But two, we don't want to seem like we don't know what we're doing. Right. You no. know, if we ask a client for advice, or we ask a boss for advice, they'll think less of us because we assume that we should know the answer ourselves. That's actually quite misguided intuition, because what the research finds is people actually think you're more competent, you're smarter, you're better when you ask for advice. And the reason why is very simple. People are egocentric everybody thinks they give great advice, right? They have useful things to say. And so they assume if people are asking them for their advice, well, that person must be smart because they're smart enough to ask me for what I think. And so advice giving makes us seem, asking seems better rather than worse. Or something like follow-up questions is also fascinating. Mm-hmm. Too often, we, we use questions at the beginning of a conversation or collect information, but we don't always follow up. Someone says, oh, you know, I had a tough day or that meeting was really difficult. We say something like, I'm sorry to hear that. But we could also say something like, oh, tell me more about why. Or, you know, oh, what made it so difficult? Or that's interesting. Why did they react that way? Those type of questions not only show that we paid attention, but that we understood and we care enough to follow up and it makes people like us more as a result. And so questions don't just allow us to collect information. They shape a variety of different aspects of our lives.
0: It's funny. I have had <clears throat> numerous prospective clients over the years that I would just they would say something and I'd say, tell me more about that yeah tell me more about that. Tell me more about that in about thirty minutes of me doing that, they're like, You're brilliant. <laughs> I was like, yes, oh yeah, <laughs> all I did it's it was just- also <laughs> Good, and what I love about that point, though, right, is it's easy
1: to say just ask questions, and yeah, that's actually yeah, yeah. I don't think what you were saying or what I'm saying. Yeah, it's asking yeah. the right questions, right? Almost like a psychiatrist would, right? Helping pull out, and that's what great consultants and great leaders do. They pull out things by asking the right questions, by knowing yeah. when to ask questions, how to ask them, the right one to ask. They really encourage people to to figure out their own answers. It's also a powerful strategy with kids, right? Too often, I think mm. when we read kids' book, we're like we say, "Here are the words in the books." Rather than saying, what do you see? What do you think? Why does that character feel yeah. that way? By asking them questions, we really help them be more involved in the
0: journey and, and learn more as well. Yeah. Plus, you get some really interesting look into a very creative mind.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. What do they see? They might see quite different things than you quite do. Quite different. Yes. Yeah. So
0: I got yeah. to guarantee you they haven't been <laughs> programmed yet. So, so this may seem counterintuitive to a book about Word. What role does listening play? In this universe, that's also a really
1: interesting question, and I'll talk about that based on an experience I had. So, a few years ago, I was coming back from a consulting assignment. I was on my way to the airport. I get a text that you know every traveler dreads, saying my, my, my flight has been delayed and they've rebooked me. So I call customer service, and you know they very nicely rebooked me on a connecting flight the next day rather than the direct flight I've had. And obviously, I'm quite frustrated, just hoping to get home to the family. And you know, I get off this interaction with a barely better outcome, but quite frustrated. The very nice Uber driver's like, oh, you know, I heard you talking to customer service. I'm musing about how difficult it must be to have that job because people just are frustrated all day. He goes, oh, not really. You know, my daughter's in customer service. She loves it. And she's so good at it that they now ask her to train other people. So I'm sitting there going, what does she do that makes her so good at this and, and training others? And so we actually worked with a, a couple different companies, got hundreds of customer service calls and analyzed them to look at the language that makes them go better. Now, obviously, in a flight situation, we all want a, a, you know, a direct flight leaving right away. We all want them to find our bags. We, you know, we all want the good stuff, yeah, yeah. the problems to be solved. But could the language we use in those interactions matter? And what we found quite interestingly is that concrete language was really powerful. What do I mean by that? Rather than saying, oh, I can help you with that, saying I can go find you a placement flight, rather than saying we'll refund you soon, your money will be there tomorrow, right? Using more specific, concrete language increases customer satisfaction, and it makes people more likely to buy from the brand in the future. Why? Because it makes people feel like that representative listened. It's so easy in these situations just to use kind of Swiss Army language, right? I can help you with that. I can solve your problem because it works for any problem, right? And as as leaders, we often do the same thing. We say, oh, I I care about that. I'll take care of that. But using concrete language shows that we listened, right? It shows that we paid attention. It shows that we heard them. And as a result, has a variety of positive downstream
0: effects. Yeah. The one I hate is, how is your Monday going? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Or you, you sit on hold restore. and they say,
1: Oh, they sit on hold and they're like, Your call is valuable to us. And you're like, Yeah, that's why I've been on hold for fifty minutes, because your call must my call must be really valuable. And so, you know, the intentions are good. They yeah. want to signal that they care, but actually doing the work requires understanding
0: the language to, to yeah. get there. Let's wrap up today on um, one of my favorite topics, the language of beer. So 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 unpack that one for us. Yeah. So someone did a really
1: interesting study looking at how language changes over time. And they did the study in the language of beer groups online. So imagine you write a review of a beer and then you come back next week and you write another review of a beer. And they look at what happens over time and they find that sort of the new members that come into this community end up adopting the language right. for the most part of other members of that community. But how well they do in an inculturator and sort of join the community predicts whether they're going to stick around or leave. And I think this is neat in, in beer. I don't know a lot about beer, but <laughs> you see people adopting the language of beer. Yeah. But subsequent work has found the same thing is true in an organizational setting. Yeah. So I can predict, they can predict whether you're going to get promoted, whether you're going to get fired or whether you're even going to choose to leave the company based on the language you use in your email, right? When you join a company, your language is different from your peers, but eventually it sort of comes to meet your peers, right? It becomes more similar to other folks in the organization. If it never does, you end up being fired, more likely to be fired. It it suggests you didn't really enculturate to the firm. But Mm -hmm. once you've kind of gotten there, you've shown that you can be part of the group. It's interesting. Some people stay part of the group and some people's language diverges. And that divergence predicts whether they're going to stick around, right? Some people can learn to fit in, but they end up deciding to leave for greener pastures elsewhere and their language reveals it even if they didn't tell people right the fact that they're no longer trying as much to fit in with their colleagues linguistically is a good predictor of whether they're going to leave
0: it's really interesting i read a book recent book called and yep. that was really one of the conclusions that probably the biggest conclusion of that that language was one of the biggest tools that were used for good or for evil or certainly made somebody feel like they were more of part of a community. There were certain words and phrases yeah. that were unique to them. So pretty fascinating. It's a great marker know. of identity. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Well, so Jonah, I appreciate you stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. You want to tell people where they can connect with you. I know they can find uh, magic words pretty much anywhere you buy books.
1: Yeah. So first of all, thank you again for having me. Great to be back on. There's a bunch of information about me, the book, but also a whole bunch of free resources, a one pager with the framework, some guides to apply the ideas on my website, which is just And you can find me on social media at J1Berger on Twitter or on LinkedIn as well.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thanks for stopping by. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you one of these days out there on the road. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, and one final thing before you go. You know how I talk about marketing strategy, strategy before tactics. Well, sometimes it can be hard to understand where you stand in that. What needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy? So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing